Up World. It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. Listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me this week. Wednesday, after the Blazers play the Denver Nuggets to get in on the action, we'll have a post-game reaction show. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's episode is also the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag show answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week, rain, sleet, or shine. There's two ways to get involved. If you want to do it, you can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich. Helps if you tag it as mailbag. Or you can wait for Monday morning around 9 a.m. Pacific time when I send out a tweet soliciting your questions. You respond to that tweet. I'll do my best to get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who just doesn't tweet, you can email the show, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. That's lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Like I said, those are the two ways to do it. We do this each and every week. It's a ton of fun. And I appreciate all of you that get involved. That's how it works. Now let's get into it. This first question comes from East Coast Blazers fan Rip City at WV Blazers fan on Twitter who asks, are you worried about the Blazers falling into the play-in game like me with all the upcoming games? Mike Miller at Mike2KRipCity says, what are your thoughts on potentially falling into the play-in tournament with Memphis red hot and rolling and our kryptonite Golden State Warriors? It doesn't look favorable. Yeah, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't classify myself as worried. Um, that That's not... That's not how I feel about the play-in tournament. Um, I think it's a very real possibility. The Blazers don't look very good right now. Um, This week is going to be brutal for them. They're going to play the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Memphis Grizzlies, and then the Memphis Grizzlies again Friday and Sunday, home and home against the Grizzlies. And they're going to play on Tuesday without Damian Lillard. And a quick mea culpa in the most recent episode. I said that I thought the Blazers were just resting Dame and they were and he was just going to take a week off and he was going to play against the Clippers. Nothing to worry about. He has officially been ruled out against the Clippers with that same hamstring tendonitis he's dealing with. He's dealing with hamstring injury, lingering thing. So I was wrong about that. Uh, Nurk is also out for that game. So there's a chance that Nurk was going to sit one of the games of the back to back and and they just decided let's let's give let's if we're going to punt on Nurk, let's give Dame an extra day and have him come back like all of us at absolute full strength against Denver. So we'll see if Dame plays then. And this was just sort of like extra rest because of how it worked out. But in any case, um, I I was wrong in my guess that the that he was going to return on Tuesday. And I want to say sorry about that because um, I want to be correct in this space. At least I want to be correct about the facts. Sometimes I just sort of misspeak because I host this podcast by myself. But like with factual stuff, I want to get it right. So apologies for that. Um, Back to the play-in tournament. I, I'm not super worried about it. I think um, you don't want to be in it, right? Like you'd rather finish sixth because you just you you get four days off between um, the start of the play-in tournament and the uh, and the playoffs. Those four days could be crucial just to get everyone healthy and mentally ready. And and I think the mental drain of having to play two one to two elimination games is a lot. But I also say this: if Phoenix finishes second in the West, I think that's the Blazers' best best path to having a competitive series. They don't look like they can beat anyone in the playoffs right now. So it doesn't really matter. Play in tournament, whatever the hell, like they're going to go home early. This, this ends quickly. So I'm not super worried. Um, 
Memphis is a charge in though, as Mike Miller points out. They they look really good. They lost actually tonight in double overtime to uh, the Denver Nuggets, but they look awesome. Memphis has just been fantastic recently. And uh, Golden, the Kryptonite Golden State. Yeah, Blazers have struggled against them in the playoffs. Not the same Golden State team. Blazers have beat them two out of three times this season. Um, <laughs> if you're worried about the Warriors, well, shit, you better be worried about literally every team in the West. Next question comes from Doctor J, who asks. Is it time for the NBA to finally just take the division winners and the next 12 best teams for the playoffs? This is getting silly, noting that the Charlotte Hornets are looking at home court advantage and the Memphis Grizzlies are in the play-in. Yeah, um, I mean, the Hornets, they did. This is a pretty old question from Dr. J, but the Hornets did did beat this knot out of the out of the Blazers, a uh, playoff team in the West, re- as recently as Sunday, but point taken. Um, I don't I don't like division winners. I, I, I'm in favor of maybe reseeding the playoffs, top 16 teams regardless. There's just more better teams in the West. You should reward them. Um, but, but then that means maybe the Knicks wouldn't make the playoffs and I want the, the Knicks are fun. I want them in the playoffs. Uh, I don't like division winners though. The divisions are way, 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 way too uneven. Uh, the Blazers division, Utah, Denver, Portland, and uh, OKC and Minnesota, two horrific teams. And then, you know, at one point, three of the best five teams in the West. It's just, uh, it's not fair. I, I, Division winners doesn't do it for me, Dr. J. But Dr. J has another question related to the play-in game. As long as we're talking playoffs, let's keep it rolling. Dr. J asks, if the Blazers fall into the play-in game, should we pull the plug and basically tank out of it so we keep this year's first-round pick? From my understanding, the teams which don't make the playoffs after the play-in get in the lottery, and as I recall, uh, the pick to Houston is lottery-protected. Yeah, um... There could be some logic to that. The Blazers just go ahead and keep that pick and then kick it down the road so they owe in the future. I think the Blazers are probably better off just just um, go ahead and give the, give that pick away. <laughs> they don't need a rookie like they. I guess they do. Like they need they need like a like a rookie that like changes the game while on a rookie contract. That's like really the recipe for success is like a, drafting a rookie who's like really freaking good in years one and two. Um, but that's, that's a really, that's impossible to do. The draft is so hard to get right. Um, even the teams who are good at it, get, get a lot of picks wrong. Um, much less the Blazers sort of recent success of drafting impact players in the lottery. They've drafted some, some solid players, but not like immediate impact type of guys. So um, I think you're better off conveying it and just having the, a future draft pick to trade. But I do like this thinking, Dr. J. I like, I like thinking outside the, thinking outside the box there. That's my, um, that's, that, that's, that's the, that's like sort of the creativity the Blazers need at this point. Like, is it better just to go ahead and lose it? Dr. J points that one of the downsides would be that maybe somebody like Norman Powell would be like, ah, this is not a playoff team. I'm out. And I do think that's a problem. It's like the bad vibes, not even with just Norm, but like all just bad vibes in general about not making the playoffs, I think is not a good place to be, but the, the vibes are bad anyways. So, um, why not? Next question comes from Jesse, who sent me a long email with a whole bunch of points, that a bunch of salient points that all boil down to this one. What about starting Carmelo Anthony? So, I don't exactly know what to do with this. I think this is probably as close to the best solution I've heard with what to do with Melo. So, like, let's just, let's all agree that Melo has to play 20 minutes a night, right? Like, the best solution with Melo would maybe be, like, some nights don't play him. Uh, not, not like all an out and out bench him. He's, he's been really crucial for the Blazers offense in certain moments. Um, and he can, he can get hot and score in isolation in a way that the other forwards on the, on the bench absolutely cannot. Like he can touch heights that they cannot. He's 
But there are nights when he's no good and, and his defense um, really burns the Blazers. I thought he was horrific on defense against the Hornets. Um, starting him seems to solve some of that because it puts him with better players, allowing him to play with Damon CJ, maybe puts him more in catch-and-shoot mode and less in ISO mode when he's sharing the court with lesser players and says, eh, I'm going to break it off. Melo's still going to isolate and the Blazers still going to defer to him, so it doesn't totally solve it. Uh, also, it does break up the Cantor and Melo pairing, which has been a problem and maybe puts Melo exclusively with Nurk, which is an interesting solution that I like. Um, I don't I don't love this move, Jesse, but I think this is, if we agree to the first part of the premise that Melo has to play because um, the Blazers are legally bound to do so, um, then, then yeah, I think this is it's not what I would do, but I'm not. I'm not like wholeheartedly against it. This is kind of like the the tank out of the the uh, playing thing. Like I'm, it's not what your boy would do, but um, these are two these are two sort of creative solutions in a row that you could probably uh, talk me into if we were face to face. But where I'm currently sitting, uh, you know, by myself in my little podcast studio in the basement, uh, nah. <laughs> No, I, I, I'm not. I'm. I understand it, but I'm not with it. Uh, I, I do. I applaud the creativity, both Dr. J and Jesse. All right, let's come back in the second segment and answer more of your questions on this glorious mailbag Monday. But first, let's talk about Locker Room. I mentioned it at the top of the show. Uh, Locker Room is the first audio platform made for sports fans. It's free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, insiders all in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. And I will be hosting a Locked On Blazers locker room once a week. Yes, you can finally join in on the conversation that you listen to right here every day. I really like locker room. Uh, it's it's a great place to uh, just to chat. It's a great way to have you listeners join the conversation. I've done them each week. Um, I, I typically have done them on Wednesdays. I'm going to keep doing that this week because it's uh, just my personal schedule stuff. We're going to do one after the Blazers play the Denver Nuggets. We'll have a post-game reaction. Um, and that's what you can expect to find on Locker Room. Watch parties, debates, debates, post-game breakdowns, reacting to big news, all that type of stuff. Like I said, Thursday after the Blazers game, after that end. So be sure you join me there where I'll be hosting a room. All you got to do is download the Locker Room app. It's currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link to your Twitter if you got one. Join the uh, NBA group for the latest league updates and then follow me at Mike G. Rich. You'll be notified when I go live. You won't want to miss it. Uh, Like I said, Thursday after the Blazers game. Can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the Blazers. See you there. Seriously, it's fun. Um, it, it really is. I can bring you on stage. We can talk back and forth. I've played, I've used the locker rooms as, as podcasts the last couple of weeks to give people kind of a sense of what it's like. But the people who have joined it have been able to sort of get on there, ask their questions, kind of push back against some of the dumb stuff I say. It's a lot of fun. Like I said, see you there. Locker room, changing the way we talk sports. Show's also brought to you by rockauto.com, the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com right now and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And while you're there, you'll see they have everything you need. Brake parts, tail lamps, engine control modules, motor oil, even new carpet. And whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks and all of it will be delivered directly to your door. Plus, the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, and then you'll be able to choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices that you prefer. Best of all, 
The prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. Instead, you can go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and while you're there, make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box. That way, they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. The Locked On Podcast Network is covering the NFL Draft from all angles. Catch up on the ultimate Mock Draft 2021 podcast presented by Odyssey. Follow Locked On NFL Draft and the Draft Dudes podcast for the latest draft news. And stay tuned for more info about our live NFL Draft coverage. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. We got a whole slew of questions about one big thing, and I'm willing to wager, Blazers fans. Y'all know what that one big thing is. It's about Terry Stotts' job security. RW wants to know, what are the chances Stotts gets fired this year? Tim wants to know, is it possible Stotts gets fired before the playoffs? Logan Gillis wants to know, has Terry Stotts lost this team? Sir Wheezy wants to know, if Portland gets blown out by good teams in this current stretch, does Portland call it in and start the coaching search early? So let's let's just talk about Terry Stotts real quick. Um, no, Terry's not going to get fired during the regular season. Um, just the the logic of it. Uh, let's let's walk through the logic. He this it's not like this particular stretch has been the worst. Like there have been other low points. Um, in fact, I would say. 10, 10, 12 days ago was probably the like time when it was like, yo, this, this, it's over. It's over. He's going to lose his job. I think Terry has very, very, very little chance of being retained for next season. He's got a year left on his contract, but I think he's gone. Um, I think he's getting fired in the off season. We'll talk about that more in a second, but he's not going to get fired during the regular season. And let's just logic through this. If they wanted to fire him, they could have. They could have promoted Nate Tibbetts. They could have let Dale Osborne coach. They could have let John Yim coach. They could have let Jim Moran, any of those guys on the bench coach. John McCullough, I don't want to leave out one of the assistant coaches. If they trusted one of those guys, they'd already be there. There's no reason. If, 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 if the choice was let's go interim coach with a guy on the staff, they'd already be there. Because if, if the Blazers had their eye on someone within the coaching staff that said, we, we trust you, they'd already be in place because in at least my read on it is that the, the vibes are, are so bad that the Blazers kind of just like need someone to be able to like take command of the room. And I don't see that voice. I mean, Nate Tibbetts is the only option on, on the bench. And if, and if Nate hasn't already been installed, I think he's going to fall with Terry as well. That's logic point. Number one, two, and listener Mitchell was curious about this. If the hot name that Damian Lillard has always loved was available, like David Vanderpool, and he certainly was available when the when the when the Minnesota Timberwolves chose to go with Chris Finch, that was the time you could have moved on Vanderpool if you wanted. They would have already hired him. There's no reason to wait. So I don't think Vanderpool's the choice now. I don't think he's the choice later. That's over two. So I just think if. I think the move for the Blazers is to get someone with gravitas, get someone who will Dame will listen to and change some of the stubborn ways that that lead into the way the Blazers play the way they play. Because all of the, not every single problem, even though it seems like that's some of the analysis from people, is every single problem is Terry's fault. No, some of it is the some of it is the stubbornness of the players. 
Obviously, another coach might uh, coax, coax something a little different out of the players than Terry has, right? Like, maybe another coach could uh, get more out of Derek Jones Jr. than the Blazers have seen thus far. Like, there are obvious arguments, and like I said, I think I think Terry's done. Like, I think that he's played out the string, and the Blazers are going to let him go. But um, we've gotten too far down the path to fire him now. If he was going to, if he was going to lose his job mid-season, it would have already happened. Um, the Blazers are just, you know, with 17 games left or whatever it is, under 20 games left in the regular season, there's no value in doing it now. It's just saying it's, I don't know, maybe you could just, <laughs> maybe there's some satisfaction in getting Terry up out of here, but um, you can just do that when the season ends. Like they'll just move on when the season ends. You've, you've, you have gone far enough down this course. It just, it just doesn't make logically sense, a bunch of logical sense. And, and the like sort of basic logic here that I'm following is seems like they don't have that sort of veteran voice on the bench a la Nate McMillan who you just sort of turn to and say maybe this guy has a better chance like you'd be turning to a first-time head coach in Nate Tibbetts if you go with your most senior assistant and this sort of obvious choice that's out there in the league David Vanderpool like clearly they don't want to do that or they already would have he'd already be on you know they would have paid him to be on the bench and uh, or they would have brought him in to be the solution now and my my gut here is that the Blazers go in a totally different direction not not you know, someone from within or someone Dame prefers. I mean, Dame will have a say in it for certain, but a totally different direction to sort of a culture reset and someone with like real gravitas. So that means like, um, you know, maybe unlikely to be a first time coach, or if it is a first time coach, it's someone with like, you know, a, like a, a long track record of being a high level assistant. Um, I, that would be, that's my gut for the way the Blazers are going. Uh, when, when I, I'm going to say when, I think it's if, like it's if, like Terry's the coach now, but like my gut says not long, um, just cause the whole vibe around the way Terry's handling press conferences, just everything around the team suggests that he's, he's out of there. And it's just, um, they don't, it doesn't make sense both financially and sort of, um, for what they want to accomplish this season, like to not have things go totally sideways, um, in the final 19 games, like if there's a chance to sort of salvage it, you just kind of do your best with this group and then and then reset for next season. But there's a couple other Terry-related questions that I found pretty interesting. Dante Ward at DTay33 on Twitter says, uh, if the Blazers do fire Coach Stotts this summer, does that change Lillard's mind on wanting to stay in Portland? I think it was really interesting. Like Terry, like Neil has, Neil, Dame, that's the person I'm thinking of. Dame has been very loyal um, to Stotts publicly and privately, right? Like this is this is his guy. He's He's gone out of his way to publicly praise him. Uh, when Neil does make a decision on what, what the next coaching staff looks like, um, and I guess there's a there is a non-zero chance that next year's team is coached by Stotts, even if I don't think so. Um, Dame will have a huge say in it, and that say will be with his you know longevity in Portland in mind. I'm sure this isn't what what Dame wanted, but I also know that I'm Dame hates losing, and I'm sure he's frustrated with the way this season has gone. All right, and now for a little levity in the uh, in the Terry Stotts portion of the program, Tom asks. So I've been a Stotts believer for a while, but unfortunately I feel like there's going to be a change this offseason. Who do you think could be a solid replacement? I've heard a couple times that Eric Spolstra from the Heat could be a good foot. Maybe he wants to come back home to Portland. Yeah, Spolstra, uh, you know, went to Jesuit and UP. His dad worked for the Trailblazers, uh, you know, Portland kid. Uh, he also was the video coordinator for the Miami Heat, hired by Pat Riley to coach the team, let on to coach... 
LeBron James through a dynasty run of a dynastic run of Heat teams, then kept on this bench in Miami beyond uh, LeBron James as the team was built again, built up again to championship level, and they went to the finals last year. He is a Heat lifer. And so the answer to whether Spolstra could be an option for the Blazers can only be answered by one man. Bishop, do yo thing. Yeah, sorry, ain't happening. Let's come back in the third segment to answer more of your questions. But first, let's talk about betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Simple as that. Bet on NBA games. Bet on NHL games. Bet on Major League Baseball. And bet on anything else you want. Reality TV shows. Awards. All that's covered by real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Plus, Bet Online's got real-time news and scores. It's just the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head on over to your website, betonline.ag. Sign up today using the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That website, available on your computer or mobile device, is betonline.ag. The promo code is LOCKEDON, and when you use that, that website, what you'll get is this 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still is the locked on Blazers. Today through April 26, make sure you listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey, featuring analysis from NFL experts like Michael Irvin, Jason Lockenfora, Brian Baldinger, and our lex- our local experts from every team making trades and picking the next stars of their team. Just search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. All right, let's close out this Mailbag Monday with more of your questions. And Tom, if you're still listening after the break, sorry that you had to get got by Bishop Bullwinkle, but I've had some requests to bring Bishop back. I know you're uh, maybe a first time or early. This is one of your early questions in the show. So sorry you had to get got. Sorry it came at your expense. But listen, we need to have fun here. Um, Sometimes it happens. This next question comes from Colin, who asks, can we still hope that CJ will get back to the level he was playing at before the injury? Or was that more a byproduct of teams keying in so much on Dame that things opened up for CJ? But now that Dame is worn down and CJ is playing more like we expect, which is to say very good, but not at all, but not an all-star fringe all-NBA type like he looked for like for a stretch early in this season. Colin, I really struggled to read this question. I'm usually pretty good at these. I pride myself on solid being able to solidly read the questions. Stumbled over that one. Kind of like CJ has stumbled recently. Um, no, I don't. I, so I don't think uh, CJ's production was a byproduct on like too much focus on Dame. CJ was just killing it. First 13 games of the season, he was killing it. That's as good a stretch as we've ever seen him play basketball. But it wasn't sustainable. Like he, he was just he was shooting he was shooting too well from the floor. Um, he just he was playing at a, at a height. He was playing beyond his his capabilities. Um, he was as good as we've ever seen him. Um, I'm not saying he's like he that was like a mirage or whatever, but like 
guys can really good players can can get on hot streaks and go on hot streaks for three weeks and cj for three weeks was that good um i do think the the foot injury really took away his rhythm but the idea that he's going to sort of get back to that level for a sustained period is probably um probably too much to ask but he can i mean he can have some really good nights and he can have consecutive really good nights It'd be great for cj just to go nuts for a little bit um but but yeah i think i think asking him to get back to that level where he's like you know one of he was one of the 10 or 15 best players in the league for two weeks it's probably too much Bronny James Dio at Bob Deeger has our next question, which reads, I know small ball has become a thing in recent years, but is this team just too small? I feel like the trend in the league is toward medium ball, and the guys getting minutes on this roster don't do well against medium-sized teams. Yeah, um, the teams that have really excelled at small ball aren't small. They're medium, like you say. Like the Warriors, let's let's even go pre-Durant Warriors, right? Uh, Steph Curry, 6'3". Not normal size point guard, not small, but not not big at all. At shooting guard was Clay Thompson. He's 6'7". He's freaking gigantic. At small forward was Andre Iguodala. He's 6'6", with long arms. He's gigantic. He can guard four spots. At, at uh, power forward was Harrison Barnes. He's 6'8". He's huge. He can guard threes and fours. He's, he's just like, he's big. At... Uh, Center was 6'6", with gigantically long arms, giant wingspan, Draymond Green. Nothing about 6'7", 6'6", 6'8", 6'6", is small. Is small. That's not a small team. Uh, the the Rockets, when they were when they were sort of at their small ball peak. Sure, Chris Paul is small, uh, but James Harden is a freaking tank at 6'5". He's, he's significantly larger than Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Then they would have various levels of wings uh, that were all types of rangy with Trevor Ariza. I mean, they played a little bit of Eric Gordon there too, uh, which, but Eric Gordon is incredibly strong. So they could switch and you couldn't really take advantage of him uh, in the post, the way you can take advantage of other small guards. But Trevor Ariza, Luke Richard and Bahamute, Daniel House, all these dudes, 6'8 and long. Um, It's the, the teams that really are excel in small ball are more like sized. It's a bunch of dudes who are six six to six foot nine and can switch every position. The Blazers are not that. No team is going like I mean, I guess the Raptors to some extent with Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, but uh Lowry and Fred Van Vliet are elite defenders. Um and uh, you know they're two of the best guard defenders in the league, or at least they were when the Raptors were really, really good. Um it's just you no one is excelling really beyond kind of sort of like playoff level competitive playing multiple guys under six foot five in the backcourt like you just that's not what small ball is because it's hard to switch how are you going to switch if they watch watch how teams treat the blazers they'll hunt damon cj late because they know that they're small and then they're not elite defenders and without that length small ball does not actually mean small small means like you said medium you're 100 correct eric griffith at eric g underscore nba asks what does Eric Griffith is asking a question on the show? Eric is going to join the podcast later this week, Thursday. Uh, look on for Thursday's show. Eric Griffith, that's Eric G underscore NBA, uh, writer for Blazers Edge and Willamette Week here in Portland. Uh, but for whatever reason, Eric is, is asking a question on the show first. That's the type of participation we love to see. Uh, what does RHJ, that's Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, need to show to be picked up for the remainder of the season? I mean, nothing. They should just pick him up. Nothing, nothing. Not a single thing, nothing. Just pick them up. 
Uh, you're not going to find a better player off the street than him. Um, he's he's just to me he's just a real zero on on offense. But um, he can pass. Here's here's my thing with Ronnie Hells Jefferson. He's probably better as the dude who sets the screen. But when he's been on the court, he's sharing time with Ennis Cantor and Yusuf Nurkic, guys who have to be screeners in the pick and roll to be for the most part to be effective on offense. Uh, Cantor can post up a little bit, but that's not a steady diet type thing, and he's better doing that off screens anyways. But I think Ronnie Hells Jefferson would be better setting the screen so that way he could get the ball in the middle of the floor and be a decision maker. He's a good passer um, and get the ball like diving towards the rim and cutting so he doesn't have to dribble um, and make decisions. Uh, He's just, he's a weird fit, but he's still in terms of defense, strength, hustle, and rebounding stuff. um, He's as good as you're going to find off the street. So just sign him. He doesn't need to do anything else. Next question comes from Nick who asks, when you're going to a game, what team gear would you rock? Jersey? Shirt? Team hat? I want to know your style. Uh, so I grew up going to Carolina basketball games um, like for my whole life. Uh, you know, lived in walking distance of the of the arena and would walk there with my family and, and go to games from age, you know, six to 18. Um, and, be, and obviously beyond that when I go visit now. Um, but I, I've been, I've had a couple different styles. Like as a, as a young kid, like as a young fanatic, I painted my face one time and Duke beat Carolina by 25 in like 1998. Um, that Duke team was like really freaking good. I should, my parents should not have let me paint my face knowing how good that Duke team was. Um, they got, Carolina got absolutely rolled. Um, I've never really owned jerseys. I only recently bought a Carolina jersey because I saw one online for relatively cheap that was like in good condition. Uh, it's a Dion Thompson jersey uh, or Jawad Williams, depending on what who you're who you're a fan of. But that's a kind of a deep cut, so that's the kind of pl- guy I am. But mostly, I would wear one specific T-shirt. I wore it for probably close to a decade. I recently moved and I threw it out finally after I, I probably owned it for close to twenty years. But I wore it to virtually every game for uh probably from 13 on 13 until 25 i would i would like bring it back with me from portland to chapel hill knowing i would go to a game so i'd wear one specific jersey it just had the nc logo on the front and then some like um designed for the exact specification of championship athletes jordan brand uh wording on the back and i i wore that shirt out I saw some great wins. I saw some tough losses, and uh, it's it's been it's been with me through um, all of my favorite in-person basketball moments. So I'm mostly a lucky T-shirt guy. Nick, thanks for asking. Next question comes from Alex, who asks: Say Zach Collins did come back late in the season, what kind of role do you think he would have, and who, if anybody, would he take minutes from? Like theoretically, he would take minutes from Carmelo Anthony as the backup four, but functionally, I think he would play like really weird spot minutes and take minutes from Nazir Little, and they would slide Carmelo Anthony down to the three. Um, <laughs> I I feel like Zach Collins coming back would be a nice problem for the Blazers to have because he answers a lot of their a lot of their issues. But we're talking like fully formed Zach Collins, not like Zach Collins after two years off. So uh, I think it's kind of a pipe dream, but. I don't think he would. I mean, I, I think a reasonable solution in in maybe would be to start him at the four. But I but Rocco is a better help defender than he is an on ball defender. So yeah, I think he plays backup four, and and he actually ends up eating into Nazir Little's minutes, which is um, probably not a great trade off. Our last question of the show comes from Brooke, who asks, 
I loved your comparison of Ennis Cantor to a Subaru. It was spot on. So if he's a Subaru and Yusuf Nurkic is a BMW, what about the rest of the Blazers? So in a recent podcast, I said that um, the difference between Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor was that Ennis Cantor was a really dependable Subaru, gets you where he needs to go, like does does all the things you want out there, but um, but is not a luxury vehicle. And that the, the difference between this dependable car that's going to last you and get the job done and a luxury vehicle that maybe has to spend some extra time in the shop is the difference between uh, Ennis and Nurk. And Brooke enjoyed that comparison and challenged me to do more. So here it is. Damon Lord is a Maserati. He's the type of car that when you drive by, you say, oh, what the hell is that? Like, you know it's a luxury vehicle when it comes by. And when it pulls up, you you check out the hood ornament and you say, oh, whoa, you don't see many of those. A rare, a rare car, but a car that is obvious luxury when you see it. CJ McCollum is a Porsche. If you don't know a lot about cars or you're not super familiar with luxury, a Porsche is nice. That's nice. It's just an it's just a nice car, but if you know about luxury, you're not excited for a Porsche. You're like, yeah, that's a that is a nice car. That's CJ McCollum. Norman Powell is a Mercedes. He's nice. He's expensive. He's fast. People know people say that people know that you're about it if you have a Mercedes. You're not you're not um, it's not a Maserati. People aren't um, sort of immediately aware of your wealth, but they know that you're not playing around when the Mercedes pulls up. But it's the kind of car that a lot of people have might end up in a lot of different cities if you know what I mean. Robert Covington is a Yukon GNC. A little bit clunky, a little bit slow, but boy, howdy, can he get the job done? If you shine them up nice, it looks like a luxury vehicle fit for some sort of secret service type agent. If you get it dirty, it's ready to go to the mountains and haul you to altitude. The Yukon GNC is that perfect mixture of rugged and beauty, and that's Robert Covington. Carmelo Anthony is an Aston Martin. Iconic, luxurious, but the type of car that someone owns when they already own a lot of luxury cars. No one only drives an Aston Martin. Aston Martin is the type of car that someone who has has a six-car garage says, today we'll take the Aston Martin. That's what Carmelo Anthony is at this stage in his career. Amphrey Simons is a Volvo. It's going to stick around a while. He's dependable. To some, to some Volvo freaks out there, that's the nicest car you could possibly own. They're obsessed with Volvos. They got the magazines. They love that Swedish, they're going to Swedish imports, getting all excited about the Volvos. You know those weird Volvo freaks out there. They're telling you it's a nice car. And you get in there, you, you, you feel the leather, you see the, you see the little digital dash, and you say, yeah, a Volvo is a pretty nice car. But nobody who drives by it on the street says, damn, Volvo. In fact, most people are driving by, and they're much more excited about the Porsche and the Mercedes that are ahead of them. Nazir Little is a Chrysler 300. When he gets going fast enough, that fool looks like a Bentley. But he's a Chrysler 300. Derek Jones Jr. is an Acura. On its nicest, shiniest days, you might forget that it's really a Honda. CJ Ellaby is a Dodge Neon. Everybody needs a drive. 
Everybody needs a car. You just you got a you got a car. You get a you go to the you go to the car draft. You get a car that works and you drive it around. It takes you to a place. You can go to the grocery store. It's a car. It has doors and an engine. It's got car. It's a car. You just you know it's a car. It's a Dodge Neon. That's what CJ Ellaby is. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson is a Ford Fusion. It's just like a rental car. You know, it's like a medium sized rental car. <laughs> You you go to the you go to Enterprise. They're like, yeah, you got you can choose between a Ford Fusion and another Ford Fusion. It's not a car that you know that people drive. It's just a weird rental car. When you when I show up in San Antonio, they're giving me a Ford Fusion. That's a ten day contract of cars. Kelgen Blevins. That's a dude sitting in the Maserati. He's not a car. He's just he's just riding along and he's sitting passenger seat in the Maserati. He's probably in charge of the stereo. And Harry Giles, who I skipped on this list, I was going to try to end on my Kelgen Blevins joke, but I skipped him on the list and I didn't want emails about it. Harry Giles is a PT cruiser. He's a car that way back in the day, people were like, yo, that's kind of cool. That's a weird looking car. I like that. This is a new little thing. You mean like a 6'10 dude who can who's dribble and pass and shoot? Left-handed? Got a lot of guard skills? That's a PT cruiser. That's unique. Then you get down a few years down the road and People look in your driveway like, "What? Why you got a? Why you got a PT Cruiser? What's with the? All right, well, you like what you like. PT Cruiser will get the job done, but it's uh, it's, it's kind of a weird choice. Hope that not too many of my listeners drive a Ford Fusion. That's going to do it for this episode of Mailbag Monday. Uh, like I said, locker room Wednesday after the Nuggets game. Blazers play Tuesday too, so we got a back-to-back coming up. We'll have shows following those games, so make sure you are following this podcast wherever you already get podcasts and telling your friends about it. Just search Lockdown Blazers. You'll be able to find this, where, like I said, wherever you already listen. We got uh, fun shows the rest of the week too. Like I said, Eric Griffith is going to join the program. I look forward to that. I hope you do too. Future Mailbag Mondays, if you want to get involved, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or email the show, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. We do this each week. I record it on Mondays and post it on Tuesdays. That's how Mailbag Monday works. I enjoy it. I hope you do too. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you all soon.